Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, I'll say it to oh, you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What are you doing down here, you shawnee man? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast post Ireland Scotland. Owen and Ken here. And the topic for today's opening little podcast intro, national anthems at international football matches. Mm. Is there any point? That's what mm. I'm going to ask today, Ken. Flower Scotland was belted out lustily by the Scottish fans on Saturday, but George Hamilton in commentary noted that the players gave what he described as a sheepish rendition. And it was only I didn't notice it, to be honest, until he had said it. I was watching this... Uh, wa- watching a lot of this back afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I look back and I say, like, that was quite sheepish. It didn't seem to have much interest at all. And George said very confidently, I think we're about to see a bit more passion from the Irish team as the Garda, as the Garda band strikes up our own Naveen. Yes. It was excellent commentary as usual from, from George Hamilton, very well structured, but uh, cut to a shot of a stoic and largely silent bunch of Irish men <laughs> uh, with three exceptions. Who do you think was giving it a lash, uh, to use Jack Charlton's old phrase? Shay Given. Yeah, correct, yes. Shay Given was very, very loud and demonstrative. Charles Shay. Shazy, yep. The two Shays. I mean, if Robbie Keane was there, he would have been singing, mm-hmm. but he wasn't there. Uh... I'll give you a clue. If, the, if, if you were watching this in sequence, as in where the players were standing, yeah. this isn't necessarily related to their position, but O'Shea and Given were the two first guys. So I was a, I was a little bit yeah, I was a little bit loose with the truth there, saying that it could immediately do a shot of silent guys. The two guys at the front were actually singing. Mm-hmm. But immediately after that, it starts hitting Glenn Whelan. I thought Glenn Whelan might be a singer, but no. Nah. John Walters, no. No, John Walters is, is a scouser. <laughs> He's like, probably doesn't sing words to around the vein, you know. I mean, it's... You can learn them. And then they... Uh, <laughs> it is often the case that uh, if a player isn't, isn't, didn't go to school in the Republic of Ireland, let's say... Yeah, Kevin Gilban. Yeah, I don't know those Kevin words. Kevin Gilban, I, I point you in the direction. Did he learn the words? I'd, I'd be surprised if he didn't. I don't know if he would have to look. Kevin Gilban had a... Listen, I'm getting sidetracked here. Okay. We, we still haven't got to the identity of the third current player. Yeah, it could, I mean, the candidates he, he are... He was right down the back. Right down the back. The, of the candidates are Seamus Coleman, Robbie Brady, uh, Jeff Hendrick, and Daryl Murphy. Um, Jeff Hendrick's your man, Ken. Jeff Hendrick. Yeah, Jeff was giving it a decent effort. But well, I, I don't know the quality of the singing, but he was actually singing there. So the question is... If Wes, Wes Hilton could have been singing as well, but he's not a singer. He's not, he doesn't strike he's me not really as a He's not really a talker, he's not really a singer, certainly publicly. He speaks with the ball. So the question is, if the players don't bother singing the anthems, I mean, what are we actually watching? We're, we're observing a bunch of men observing a piece of music. Well, the, the crowd sings the anthems. 
Mm-hmm. It's for the crowd anyway, isn't it? So why bother showing a player shot at all? Um, Just pan to the crowd. Because the crowd did look good. As I mentioned, the Scots looked good. The Irish were in decent voice. Because it, it gives the you... Irish. It gives you the Irish. <laughs> it gives you a chance to, to run your eye over the, um, the players. You know, the horse flesh before mm-hmm. the... Uh, before they actually all get going, you know, it's like it's like you, the camera f- zooms in on the horses before they, they actually start running. You know, you get to see, oh, he looks nervous. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, you're looking at Roy Keane will be looking out for it, wasn't it? He he was saying it before the Bayer Leverkusen game, shaking with fear. Someone was shaking with fear as they played the Champions. Everyone assumed music. that it was Varane. Yeah, of course, it was, probably was Varane. In fairness, um, I mean, probably, he probably wouldn't have mentioned it if it hadn't been Varane. <laughs> no, um, who knows who it was? But you know, somebody like Roy Keane obviously would would take something from that. Me personally, I don't really take anything from it. On. Well, sure. Yes, the, what about the patriotism and the nationalism? That's the other side of this. Yeah, it's a lot of nonsense. What being patriotic and being nationalistic? Yeah, complete nonsense. Y- you're, um, you're not. A, <laughs> can you qualify that or explain? Well, the, the the football match has nothing to do with your feelings of your probably confused feelings of patriotism or uh, nationalism. Well, then why am I supporting Ireland and not Scotland? That's a good question. I know I'm there. Probably because all your friends are, and you're just going along with the <laughs> with the group. Like a lot sheep. of my friends are Irish. Can some of my best friends are Scots? Yeah. Well, they're not actually. I don't really have any. Uh, well, but I like them. I like the them as a group of people. <laughs> the jocks haven't heard in a while. For the fans, you know, we, um, yeah, we, I suppose it's, it's it's our team. We're condemned to, uh, you are condemned to support the team that you're, uh, you know. So it sounds like, it sounds like you feel you're going to shoot down the proposal that I've made here, the very official proposal to end national anthems, based purely on the pageantry of it. Well, uh, some national anthems are good, but most of them are terrible, you know. Most of them are, are sort of bad piece of 19th century music. Um, the kind of music that doesn't really get played anymore. I mean, I, I don't understand why people people change their national, um, you know, say the FA the FA's badge. That's something that, that always gets updated. Why not the national anthem? I mean, a lot of these these um, anthems are ridiculously antiquated now. You know, how so can you're proposing really a different any... anthem every year. Maybe the big summer hit of the year. Well, if you've got an anthem that works, if you've, if it's the Italian, if it's the, if it's the Italian national anthem, it works. There's no need to change that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you've got an anthem like... Uh, the Australian one. The Australian one isn't great, to be fair. Yeah. Um, you know, the the Portuguese one, very, very limp. Uh, the Argentinian one, ridiculous. American. The Irish one, not great. Irish. It's not, it's not American. A, We're treading on dangerous territory. The, having, having to go with the American national anthem. Yeah, I, I mean, find, I, find I don't that know anthem, if we want to go there. I just find that anthem is way too open to interpretation. Every time you listen to it, it doesn't sound like something you can sing along to because you've got some over-the-top, generally attention-seeking te- te- uh, singer, as many professional singers are, mm. trying to put their own stamp on it. Mm. And it always sounds kind of weird. Well, the thing is, uh, it's a difficult one to sing. Yeah, it looks, looks hard. Because it's got the, you need a big range to sing that anthem, and it's all these kind of arpeggios going up and down, and it's a bit of a... Yeah, it's, not a great, it's not a great song, but they, the way they do... I remember seeing that at the baseball game um, that we went to there in San Francisco, uh, where they had a singer. Mm-hmm. They always have a singer doing it. And the singer like interprets the song, and everybody kind of stands and watches that. Nobody sings, you know. The the crowd don't sing along. Whereas at a football match, you know, the crowd usually belts it out a bit. Um, that isn't the case with the American national anthem, which I think is probably out of respect for the fact they have a singer there, and you have to listen to the way the singer's singing it. Um, but also because maybe it's just a tough one for the crowd to sing. It's one of those where they either start too low or too high, usually too low, and then they they can't hit that high note, and it all sounds awfully flat. Okay, so the conclusion is. If you if the countries that have a good national anthem should keep them, we should keep anthems, but just change, say our own and quite a number of others to whatever the big hit is. 
the summer. Sounds good. If you yeah. want to contribute to the debate, Twitter, <laughs> at Second Captains. We've got two of the best football journalists in Ireland on the way in. Emma Malone of this building, the Irish Times, and Dion Fanning, the Sunny Independent, will be in studio right after today's report on sport. Um, and we will be talking a lot about the Ireland game um, with, with Emma and with Dion. I mean, I suppose Jack Grealish is kind of the big story now today. And Villa say that they're going to summon the young man to a meeting. Um, he seems as though he might be um, <laughs> he might he might be kind of claiming that it's not him in the photo. His, his tweet, his most recent tweet, says, "I'm on the floor apparently," and the crying, laughing face, him and his friend. Um, but I have to say, it's a it's a wan-looking Jack Grealish in this, <laughs> in this photograph. <laughs> he looks a little tired. Can you describe it for people just if they haven't? Well, usually he, he, he is doing his, uh, his uh, photographic, uh, his Instagram pout. But in this one, he's... he's um, oh, which one are we talking about here, On Are we talking about the one that he's tweeted or the one that was tweeted by somebody else? The one that was else? tweeted by somebody else, just in case anyone's missed it. Well, there was three altogether. There was two of them were taken by, by somebody who was evidently standing over the prone body of somebody who looks a lot like Jack Grealish, who was lying on his back on the tarmac. Uh, and the wider shot taken from across the road, you can see Grealish is lying there on the road in front of some apartment buildings in Tenerife. Um, and he, he seems to be uh, ha- having a rest. He's <laughs> just, just finished about 10 yards short of where he's staying. <laughs> he's finished that journey home. Uh, he's, uh, but here he is. Here, here he's kind of saying, oh, I'm, uh, I'm on the floor apparently. And he's kind of doing a little um, gesture. I don't even know what that is. And I'd say it was the devil horns, but it's not because... Um, that's the devil horns there, you see. Well, I can see it, yeah. I don't think any of our listeners can, unless they've got you know, this, index this, finger, this little powers. finger. Um, whereas this one is thumb and little finger. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. West side? No, because then you'd have a... Then you'd be doing a bit of... Oh, I don't know. I'm, look at Jack Grealish's Twitter and you can see it. But I, but maybe you'll see what I say when I say... I think he looks a little peaky in this photograph. <laughs> <laughs> He's not looking as a, a little pale... Uh, not as uh, hale and hearty as you'd expect from a young man enjoying summer sunshine. So there are two ways, I think, of Ireland ultimately laying claim to Jack Grealish. Mm. One of them is if his form in the FA Cup final continues into the next season. Yeah. The other is if he becomes too hot to handle for Roy Hodgson and the FA. <laughs> Roy Hodgson's a safe man. He makes a lot of safe decisions in his football career, uh, certainly in terms of selection and so forth. He might just think, listen, Grealish is more trouble than he's worth. The Irish are welcome to him. Uh, <laughs> I really hope, I really hope Roy Hodgson thinks that. That would be the greatest cr- uh, crotchety old man decision that had ever benefited the Republic of Ireland. <laughs> if, if Hodgson was to come out now and go, disgusted to see Jack Grealish's uh, behaviour and all these, not the kind we want from our young men. We don't mind a few smokers in our team, yeah. but we're not having a drink. Unfortunately, I think that's extremely unlikely. Uh, just given given the the great England international careers that never would have happened had uh, holiday excesses uh, been um, been held against them. Frank Lampard certainly, uh, Rio Ferdinand, Ashley Cole. Um, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Grealish is is heir to a noble tradition of um, of English uh, players in June enjoying themselves in holidays and why shouldn't they if you look at the so one of the best things about it is that the Twitter responses to Jack Grealish and you can see all the all of the people out there tweeting him saying don't listen to them the haters you know get some more and then emoji beer down you oh 20 years ago I was doing oh Jack that these guys don't know how to have fun you know um, so there you go have we confirmed that 
it wasn't simply we're assuming somebody else took the photo and tweeted it. I mean, that, that's certainly the way it's presented. Uh, Bri- Brian E. King, I think, is the name of the person. But how do we know it wasn't Jack Reader's last dying act of a heavy night out to just get the selfie stick out? <laughs> just before he's going unconscious, just extend it far enough and take a nice, a couple of overhead snaps. Yeah. Okay, but, anyway, yeah, enough British. I see you want to move on. The, we'll talk about the Euros, um, mm-hmm. Euro 2016. Just looking at it, and, and we are in a tough group, as, as Martin O'Neill, I think, has been pointing out. Some of, those, some of those groups are a little easier. But just looking through the groups and, and uh, to see who's well-placed to qualify for this tournament in France. Group A top uh, team of the group is Iceland. <laughs> Iceland are cur- population 300,000 currently topping a group involving uh, the Czech Republic Netherlands and Turkey um, all of whom have been defeated by Iceland at home uh, so, they've, so they're probably going to be qualifying for France uh, 2016 because they've already beaten Latvia and Kazakhstan away and they've still got to play those two teams at home and if they win those two games they finish in the top two alright so Iceland's in well, so they don't necessarily finish in the top two, but they will finish in the top two, provided that uh, the Netherlands don't win away to the Czech Republic, and then that Holland would have to win all their other games as well. But they would also need they, the two teams essentially behind Iceland are Netherlands and Czech Republic. They still have to play each other, so that means it's looking pretty good for Iceland. Then you never know what they might manage to do at home, given that they've already been, or what, what they might manage to do away to these teams, given they've already. So Iceland are, are able to do it. This I, I wouldn't have fancied Iceland to come out of that group on when I looked at the, at the beginning. Holland, Czech Republic, or Turkey probably going to be between those three teams for the top three places, but Iceland are in there. So Czech Republic, uh, Netherlands, next group Wales. Yeah. Number one. Pressing a lot of people. Wales defeated Belgium. Um, was a, well, it was just before the weekend. Gareth Bale with the goal. Uh, so they lead Belgium by three points. Israel, our old friends from uh, qualifying groups gone by, are third. Cyprus, another old uh, adversary of Ireland, are uh, fourth. Bosnia and Andorra making up the numbers there. So it looks like Wales are going to... I mean, Wales are... Wales are in. Hmm. Wales are, are pretty much in. Five points ahead of Israel with four games to go. A couple of which are very easy. Yeah. Uh, it's looking good for them. Uh, next group, Slovakia. Another team that, that we've been in two qualifying groups with recently are topping a group which also includes Spain, who they, of course, defeated uh, a few months ago. Ukraine, third there. Belarus, Macedonia, and Luxembourg are the... You know. Incidentally, it's, it's, it's not a great uh, qualifying tournament so far for Eastern European teams. Just looking across it, most of them are are, um, are not doing very well at all. Uh, Poland are the exception there in our group. They're top uh, at the moment, although everybody expects Germany ultimately to... Well, and Slovakia. Hmm? Slovakia. Yeah, I suppose Slovakia. Um, are, we, are we debating them geographically? Yeah, no, so, yeah, I guess Slovakia are our former, former East Bloc team, mm-hmm. let's say. Um Although I'd call them more middle Europe myself, home. But anyway, <laughs> we could know, be here all day. Uh, Poland uh, and Germany, uh, Scotland, obviously, and then us. Uh, England cruising to the final, uh, finals rather uh, a three-two win over Slovenia for them with some great goals by Jack uh, Wilshire. Did you see them? Oh. Fantastic, um, exciting game in the end for England. They they won three-two with a like late Rooney goal. Um, they were losing one 0 went two one up, then two all, then. Uh, three two, 
Uh, Wilshire scoring two fantastic shots from outside the area. Second one in particular was one of the best goals. Um, probably the best goal he'll ever score for England, though. And I'll stick my neck out and say he'll do well to get a better goal than that. Um, six wins out of six. Uh, England, the usual qualifying form. Switzerland, um, Slovenia, Estonia, Lithuania, San Marino. Mm-hmm. Not the most difficult group, you might argue. And then Romania, top group. There's another Eastern European team. Maybe I should keep my mouth shut a bit more. There's <laughs> just a couple of them doing badly. Um, Romania, top. Northern Ireland, second. Uh, Hungary, third. Faroe Islands, fourth. Faroe Islands, twice victors over Greece. Strange. Uh, yeah, it is. It's very strange. Um, but it's not been a great tournament for Greece. On two points out of six games so far, uh, things are not good. Uh, not good with those guys. No. And Austria and Sweden, then topping the next group. Austria and Sweden, who were uh, our friends from our last qualifying group, um, and Russia, another team that we've been in there with. They're uh, they're third in that group. Montenegro, Liechtenstein, Moldova. So all I've got to say is that looking through the groups, there's a lot of um, a lot of teams that you wouldn't really necessarily expect no. to be. A lot of previously mediocre teams, I would say. Mm. I mean, Austria weren't neither Austria or Sweden impressed me that much as they romped past Ireland in the last in the last group. Sweden are reliable qualifiers yeah, for tournaments. You know, Aust- Austria not so much. Austria are in a Slovakia. Come on, Slovakia. Slovakia you know, were, have never been much good against us. No, they did qualify for the World Cup, um, the 2010 World Cup, of course, uh, which we uh, didn't manage to do. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about all this. Own. I mean, it's jealous a, from an Irish point of view. There's going to be smaller teams than us at the Euros. It looks like. Oh yeah. I don't know if necessarily our group is as difficult as as we were making out. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a lot of, you know, what, what, what I saw, there was a difference between Gordon Strachan and Martin O'Neill afterwards, which is that Gordon Strachan, um, well, of course it is. You know, Strachan's effectively just won the game. It's one one, but. He's he's retained the advantage, right? It's a decent result for him. It's not such a good result for O'Neill. O'Neill said a thing about uh, how, oh, you know, Strachan said, oh, that's the ref had a great game. Uh, and O'Neill, when he came and said, yeah, I'm not surprised he thought that, uh, given that Naismith was refereeing the game for most of it. And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, you can see that Martin O'Neill, Martin O'Neill, a uh, uh, very well-regarded manager from his time, uh, you know, in, in Scotland, from his time at Celtic, although not by everybody, you get the sense that there were some people there who uh, maybe have still have a few scores to settle with Martin O'Neill. I saw the um, I saw the uh, daily the daily record in Scotland uh, saying that Martin O'Neill had given a master class in uh, playing the victim uh, or something like this. You know, t- his typical bad grace and all this kind of stuff. Talking about Naismith. What if Naismith had been uh, refereeing the game as Martin O'Neill? <laughs> Martin O'Neill claims. He probably should have consulted with his linesman for a little bit longer there over the offside goal. Yeah. He didn't referee the game brilliantly in Scotland's favour. It's funny, Strachan, Strachan was the one with the more cause for uh, rage with the ref, I would have thought, or even an underlying issue with the referee. But maybe you're saying, maybe buoyed by the positive result, he just said, ah, look, I don't care. Offside, didn't see it. It was our fault anyway. We lost possession. Which yeah. is pretty rare of a manager to give up an open shot at claiming what should have been a better result than what they actually got. Yeah, it was offside, you know. And so he it's kind of like, okay, we take responsibility for the um, for the mistakes that we made and we made mistakes that cost us. He didn't blame the linesman's mistake. He blamed, he blamed Scotland's mistake for giving the ball away stupidly. Um, you know, it's, it's a kind of a mature attitude. Maybe Gordon Strachan wouldn't necessarily always be so mature. Maybe if he lost 2-1 with an offside goal in the last minute, we would have seen a, a slightly... Um, 
a less magnanimous Gordon Strachan. Um, I mean, Scott Brown talking about this afterwards uh, was was again he was a little bit cutting about Ireland's um, tactics. They tried to play to their strengths again. What do you think our strengths are? In Scott Brown's opinion, physicality, all that sort of stuff. They tried to wind us up, oh, right, but okay. none of us took the bait. Um, they were trying to get at us early. There was a few late tackles. Uh, because in the first ha- first game, Charlie Mulgrew strolled it. He was flicking balls over heads, playing nice and easy. They didn't like that. So they tried in the second game to come out with more purpose and get in our faces and make a few late tackles. I'm sure Roy Keane would have loved that. Asked if he felt he was deliberately targeted, Brown smiled, I hope so. I quite enjoy that, but they should have had a red card. It was a shocking challenge on Russell. A high elbow could easily have broken his nose or done something worse. That's the James McCarthy um, jumping into Russell Martin, which bloodied his face a little bit. And McCarthy probably looking the way with it. The blood came out pretty fast. Always dangerous when your opponent is bleeding like a stuck pig. <laughs> you're, you're and, your, and your elbow has a little bit of blood on it, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, was, it was awkward. I don't remember Charlie Mulgrew um, sombreroing all the Irish players in the, fir- <laughs> in the first game. Maybe the, Sounds was, like a great game Scott Brown was at that, that time. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember any of that, but... Um, he was quite good, I think. Uh, Mulgrew in the first in the first match, if if I remember correctly, yeah, we, well, he evidently was. Um, uh, if they gave out bonus points for whinging, then Martin O'Neill would have kept Ireland's qualification hopes alive single-handedly on Saturday night, writes uh, Keith Jackson in the uh, Daily Record. But unfortunately for the Republic, this cutthroat Group D section will be decided by the quality of the play on the park rather than the manager's all too predictable simpering off it. So. Sounds like uh, no friend of Martin O'Neill writing no. there. Now, actually, what O'Neill did, in my opinion, was just, it's just, the, it's something he always does, which is he says something flippant, and he says, oh, you know, I'm only joking. Now, I saw in the, uh, the after he does the main press conference, he does like a little briefing for newspaper journalists, and this was actually the first thing that came up. Um, and as the journalist was kind of repeating the line about, oh, you know, nice with referee the game. O'Neill was immediately trying to cut him off and say, no, no, you know, no. Like, kind of kind of going, don't make a big deal out of this. You know what I mean? Don't, please, with this kind of pained expression of, oh, you know, I can't believe you're, you're going to... But, like, okay, the guy, the journalist eventually says, look, that's not actually my question. Yeah. And the question was more along, it was, that was kind of just the beginning of it. It's not, I'm not trying to get you to talk more about the thing that I'm you just said. I'm just trying to frame this in an interesting way to engage yeah. you, Martin. Just, just to remind you of what it was you said. But of course, when you say something like that, you, can, you know, O'Neill, O'Neill often does this kind of thing. Oh, you know, I said this, oh, I don't mean it. Or, oh, like there was a quote that was doing the rounds um, but among the Scottish journalists and it's in a few of the reports. Uh, O'Neill, uh, when he was managing Celtic, was asked about the Scotland job uh, and said something like, well, I think anyone who is considering the Scotland job at this moment would need to get themselves checked out by about 15 psychiatrists. Which, again, you know, you need a... Right, after that. Because that's... O'Neill is not seriously suggesting that anyone who would take the Scottish job is mentally ill. Hmm. He's just overstating. He's making a ha-ha, you know. No one's going to take that seriously, sure they are. They. But if you put in a situation like that, you say Naismith's refereeing the game, even if you're not 100% serious, you're kind of just making a little... You're making a point about Naismith had a lot to say in that game. Do you know game. what's interesting about the reaction to that, though, right? If you remember back to the Six Nations, Neil Francis writing that Warren Gatland had, was it the intellectual capacity of a tub of floor or something like this, yeah. right? The Welsh go nuts about it. How dare you insult Warren Gatland? He's our manager. He's not, well, he's not even a Welshman. He might, he's an honorary Welshman. Yeah. And who the hell is this Neil Francis guy? How many Lions stores he play on? All this kind of stuff. 
the daily record of a massive goal, Martin O'Neill talking about whimpering, moaning excuses, and everybody in Ireland simpering, is, simpering, sorry, and everybody in Ireland is just, eh. you know, not that we agree with it, but we're not totally outraged because there's such an underwhelming feel to the whole. Martin O'Neill era. Do you know what I mean? It's not as though it's a manager with everybody, the whole country rallying passionately behind at the moment. No. Um, no, I don't said that about, so. Somebody said that about Jack Charlton in the mid-90s. Certainly in the early 90s. We'd, yeah. we'd be fairly annoyed. Yeah, although, you know, I mean, again, it is it is O'Neill who sort of took the initiative here. Again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a flipping comment. It's a, it's a habit that he has. Usually when he's, when he's talking to, uh, you know, uh, his usual audience of, like, the Irish journalists, he'll say something like that and everyone will go... He, you know, he he then explained in the next sentence. That's just a joke. So Strachan, though Strachan has a weird sense of humor. I like I like Strachan. I like them both in different ways. But you know, I, thought, yeah, I, th- I think there does seem to be a little bit, a bit too much made on the Scottish side of this. O'Neill embarrassed himself in the immediate aftermath of this one-all draw. Stephen slating Stephen Naismith for complaining about the butchery of Irish defending, and then arrogantly refusing to answer why it was the Scotland striker had annoyed him so. But it was the style with which Ireland went about this game. Or rather, the lack of it, that has left the former Celtic manager in quite a pickle with his own public, many of whom have lost belief in his old school agricultural approach. <laughs> so there you go, harsh enough stuff. But that's that's a guy who's who's um, no, as as we said, he appears to be no friend of O'Neill. No. Now I don't know, is he, is he what he's saying? Maybe some people do kind of feel that about O'Neill that maybe this is yesterday's kind of football, you know, football based around. Crossing often not from great positions, big man centre forward, you know, bit of bit of aggression in the tackle. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, what else are we necessarily supposed to do? You know, you got a team that doesn't have, you know, if I'm sure, I think, oh, and I'm, I'm going out on a limb here, right? But I think that if Martin O'Neill had a team that was, you know, Messi, Suarez, Neymar, Iniesta, Busquets, PK, we might have passed Scotland off the park on. On Saturday, I mean, it's kind of coming down back back to this this thing of you know, and I, I saw, for instance, Liam Brady arguing with Richie and Eamon Dunphy about this, saying we just have, don't have the players, mm-hmm. and this was kind of what Trapattoni would always say, and I'm kind of coming around to it. I don't know if it was always true when Trapattoni was the manager. No, and even Brady did allow for the fact that in the early Trapattoni days. We had some good players. We had Robbie Keane still near enough as prime. Richard Dunn still going reasonably well, so very well against Duff. These kind of guys are, are, are a I mean, higher level. What we give for a player like Duff at this stage? Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. Or maybe just Duff himself if you can get over the injury. <laughs> we have a player like Duff. The so actual we still he'll be back in the country. Duff. He won't. It'll be a short trip to. I don't know if Damien Duff wants to necessarily spoil the pretty picture he left us with a hundred, a hundred perfect cats, <laughs> and then a couple of. Slightly weaker games, hopefully. You know? yeah. yeah, so I, I am kind of beginning to come around more to that that way of looking right. at it. We well, can't really look, we can't look at this anymore and say, well, the manager of this and you know players who are being left out. That this is it. This is this is what we. This is all we're up to. We'll, we'll talk loads more with Dion and Emmett, but there's other football going on. Women's World Cup, Cup America. Where do you want to go? Yeah, on the Women's World Cup is um, actually getting to the point now where the groups are going to be finishing up over the next couple of days. So Group A. Um, the game today, the big game today is between Holland and Canada. Uh, essentially, this is an interesting game because Canada are the host nation and uh, Holland have the chance here to knock, knock them out because, well, they they possibly still would qualify anyway because it's a 2014 tournament. The problem with the 2014 tournament is that it's not always a problem from the point of view of the teams that benefit from it, but 2014 tournament, um, you've got six groups, 
And in some of those groups, the third place team goes through. In fact, in four of those groups, the third place team goes through. And in two of them, the third place team gets knocked out. So, um, so China, Canada, rather, may not be knocked out. China, um, they actually managed to beat uh, China in their first match. But uh, if they lose to Holland, then there's every chance they, they will actually get knocked out in the first leg, which would be bad for the tournament, I think, uh, to have the host nation knocked out at this stage. Um, also, the Germany-Norway group, uh, which isn't really so interesting in terms of the fact that Germany and Norway are so much better than the other teams in their group. Um, and are both definitely going to qualify. The question is whether Thailand uh, can join them in the third round. The only way they're really going to be able to do that, though, is by getting a point against Germany, which is... Yeah, you really need Canada in there in any of these tournaments. If the host nation goes out... It's not good when they go in the group stage. So Rod Little wrote wrote quite a scathing piece about it in the Sunday Times yesterday, uh, along the lines of... He's criticising what he sees as a patronising attitude of people trying to promote women's football. Uh, They promote it as though it's the equal of men's... Mm-hmm. And a lot of his pitch that way when he said it's just not and he I haven't, I honestly haven't seen enough of the Women's World Cup yet to, to make an informed judgement call but from what, what Rod Little had seen he said it's been really bad and there's no point dressing something up that's been bad because that's not going to keep people interested if you are watching well I saw the um, Norway-Germany game for instance and I mean it depends I mean what do you what do we when you say it's bad what do you mean like are we saying that if Germany played Germany Germany women against Germany men. Are we saying that the Germany women's team would have a chance? No, clearly that's not the case, right? Of that's, course, yeah. That's really obvious. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like a the kind of point that's so obvious it shouldn't need to be made by anybody. I hope that Rod Little wasn't basing well, well, his argument on that point. I'll tell you who wrote it, Rod Little. Rod Little. I know who wrote it, Rod Little. Did he write that the Germany women's don't, team... Don't finish up the rest of that age-old quote. <laughs> did he write the Germany women's team is nowhere near as good as the Germany men's team? If he did... Then it's a case of, well, you know, well noticed, Rod. You clearly have a discerning eye for this game. He was saying that the way, the way women's football is built up. I don't know where he's reading these pieces. Where, where is women's football built up? I mean, like it's literally the World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. It's the World Cup. Some you so you get a bit of coverage of it around the World Cup. It's the World Cup, mm-hmm. so it gets a bit of coverage. <laughs> when is this being built? Where is this onslaught of women's? Uh, of uh, what are they going to do next? Is is Rod, I imagine Rod Little writing? What are they going to do next? Take away our urinals? Is that is that the next step? Now that now that the papers are full of this propaganda about women's football, every time I turn on the television, it's women's football on TV. Yeah, you're misrepresenting it now. People talking about how amazing women's football is literally all the time. I can't get away from it. Who's going to cry? The emperor has no clothes. Women's football is not as good as men's football. When when are we going to? Get, when is someone going to stand up and say that? I don't know. It's not really the point that women's football isn't as... It, that a women's football team, that whoever wins this Women's World Cup, is probably not going to be as good as the t- a team. No, it, and maybe I'm not fully representing Rod Little's, uh, Rod Little's article again. It's just something I brought up. Yeah. I, I would maybe need to read the entire thing again to counter some of those points. Because it, it seemed to be well put together at the time, mm. the piece. And, uh, well, the, the point is whether the competition itself is is, you know... It, I mean, who's okay? The point about it is that, like, if you've got, I mean, for instance, you've got like all uh, the the Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. You've men's and women's events in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that like the women's hundred meter sprint is not worth watching because they're not as fast as the men? Like, it doesn't. No, but if you're make it, any sense? No, of course not. But if you're trying to argue that the, his point seems to be that 
there actually isn't an acceptance that it's not of the same. That there are bad, say there's a bad game in the Women's World Cup, the, the, the analysts try to brush over it, that it wasn't that bad. You might, one team might stuff another team and it's, it, it, there's not the same rigorous analysis as there is during men's football games. Um, now, oftentimes that rigor actually is missing from certain stations and from certain parts of the world. <laughs> but we certainly have it here, for example, in Ireland, I think for the most part, uh, that there's a certain self-criticism. And if you're not going to properly criticize something, that's patronizing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, to be something that is, that, that yeah is I take that. I take that point. So I mean, if you if you do have atrocious, um, you know, yeah, you say this is an atrocious game. Hopefully, the next game will be better. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. Well, that's that's fair enough. You know. I mean, that's you know. Again, it all depends on whether the competition itself has like you know is it because the two teams involved are not as of the same standard as you know the two teams in a comparable men's World Cup match does not mean that the match itself lacks quality as a sporting spectacle. I mean, it does. You know, it's got it's got the same thing, you know? I mean, if, if, if this is what you're saying, then, you know, nobody would ever go to see... Um, no, one, no one would ever bother with uh, going to see a match that wasn't, you know, a Champions League knockout match. I mean, because everything else is rubbish by comparison. You'd only ever watch Barcelona and Bayern Munich. Yeah. Barcelona, that's, what it, that's the only thing. All the other teams can forget it because they're not remotely at that level. But, of course, people got to see these things. You know, look at the lower division football in England. You know, you get huge crowds at this because people... <laughs> because the quality is actually the long way. The, 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 the pure quality and almost the abstract terms of the quality of the sporting um, achievements, the sporting feats that you're seeing is a long way down the list of what? is actually worth watching about a sporting event. A lot of it has to do with the, con- the contest between the two teams. Yep. Um, you know what I mean. Okay. I know what you there's mean. No, there's no need to even to uh, go on this point any further. We'll, we might drag Rod Little into this conversation at some, some stage again. Rod Little. Um, One more quick story. Copa America is, is, is obviously underway. And uh, I don't think there are any, actually any matches today. Uh, no, there are. Sorry. Ecuador, Bolivia, Chile, Mexico... Um, Chile can qualify for the next stage if they win that one although Mexico are the main rival in the group um, there's been a couple of interesting matches Argentina were 2-0 up against Paraguay and ended up uh, conceding two goals uh, Lucas Barrios a man who I'm pretty sure scored uh, against Ireland at the RDS once okay. was it the game Paul Green scored his goal for Ireland he scored a goal I remember and got knocked unconscious in the act of scoring it um, so he has no memory of the only goal that he ever scored for Ireland. Um, but I saw it. Uh, so <laughs> somebody was around to see I can't goal. remember if it was in that game or if it was against Algeria. But Lucas Barrios scored the late, late equaliser against Argentina. Messi and Aguero had scored for them. Um, Argentina against Uruguay is the next game. That's tomorrow. Not as big as it would be if uh, Luis Suarez would be playing. Unfortunately, he's not. Uh, as a result of his ban. And uh, Brazil managed to beat Peru 2-1 thanks to Neymar with an extraordinary assist. Um, uh, worth watching. Well, he scored the first goal but then set up the second for Douglas Costa with a pass that took out, I think it was six defenders with one pass. Amazing pass, yeah. Um, a lateral pass into the path of Costa who just had a tap in at the far post. Um, so yeah, that, that competition is... Uh, Falcao was playing for Colombia against Venezuela. I saw a little bit of this one. And, you know, Falcao is probably going to be joining Chelsea now. It seems to be all the talk. Mourinho's like, oh, you know, Falcao, the player we saw at Manchester United is not the man he really is. Well, we saw the Manchester United Falcao playing for Colombia against Venezuela in Chile. So um, I guess uh, Mourinho reckons maybe he's got, he, he knows how to find that extra few percentage points. So at the moment, it still appears to be eluding Falcao. That's it for Kennedy's report on sport. I call that Ricky Roy and 
That's one of those things. Stop it! How many players can do this? Duffman can never die. He's 34 years old. It's one of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh, yeah. He's got more of a plan than me, but. If I can flag up our latest podcast before we kick on, we had a great chat with a man by the name of Paul Devaney. He's an Irish guy who gave up the day job to embark on a dream of climbing. What he wanted to do was climb the highest mountains in all four, the highest mountain in each of the seven continents. Now, he was at base camp on Everest this April when the earthquake hit Nepal, uh, created an avalanche, it killed some of the other climbers. Paul himself managed to survive. He hopped back in his tent, uh, got managed to get out of there, then set about the task of tending to the injured in what sounded like a hellish scene he told the story really really well uh, you should definitely give it a listen at some stage if you do if you chance Dion Fanning and Emmett Malone are here now to talk Ireland Scotland fellas how are you? Good thanks Good on yeah uh, Robbie Brady immediately after the game I thought was quite interesting on TV because the players a lot of the quotes this morning are players trying to talk up their chances of qualification but he said that the atmosphere is miserable Dion and that they had a mountain to climb is that a truer reflection of how the players are probably feeling about our chances at this stage? Yeah I think so I think uh I don't think to be, you know, when the games come around, especially in October, I, everyone will be hopeful again. But you do need to beat, you know, we, Ireland need Ireland need to beat uh, somebody, and Scotland was the team. <laughs> Just beat somebody yeah, at some stage. Somebody that isn't Gibraltar or Georgia, yeah. and Scotland was was the most, you know, likely team they could beat. The team that was in front of them on Saturday, not a great team. And having failed to do that, it's, you, you can't. Apart from just optimism and, and hopefulness, you can't really see any grounds for for getting uh, thinking that the win is going to come in those games in October. Emmett, have you got any optimism left? Or are you are we yeah, not this a huge off? amount. No, no. I'd imagine that's a bit of inexperience on Robbie's part. You know, like uh, <laughs> uh, to come out and say that. But uh, John O'Shea was a bit more polished about the whole thing. But even he was, you know, kind of accepting we needed you know favors from other people and. Uh, and just let's get through the next games, which we should get six points in, and then see where we are. And we have a pretty good idea of where we are, which is going to be, you know, most likely on the way out of the competition. Um, yeah, as, as Dion says, you've got to beat one of your rivals, uh, or or at least, um, or at least not get beaten by them. You know, uh, under Trapattoni, and you know, for many years now, we've made a, a you know, we've made a, you know, our party pieces not being beaten by. Um, by our rivals, but uh, once you do get beaten by them, as we were in November, then you got to you got to cancel it out somewhere along the way, and, and we just you know consistently looking capable of doing that. Why didn't we beat them, and why were we incapable? Because the first half was promising in a lot of ways, and it seemed as soon as the goal went in, everything everything went out of the game a little bit. One or two chances after that, Dion. But what actually was that the most disappointing aspect? That actually this time we were we got a foothold in the game, we were playing a little bit of football, but once the first challenge to that confidence came, we seemed to buckle a little. But that's that's been a problem for Ireland teams for for so long. That is the thing. Uh, like O'Neill talked about falling asleep for the goal, but that's what happens. You think back to you know Trapattoni's time, the the Italy game, when they were leading and they gave away gave away a silly goal. It, it's it seems to be there seems to be something in the team that is incapable of of getting those one nil one nil victories. There kind of have always been historically have been the kind of how Ireland have beaten teams they've got they've beaten teams 1-0 at home or and uh, you know you know by by a slender margin usually by a, you know one goal and this you know for a long time now Ireland teams haven't been able to do that this was just the same again 
Trapattoni was supposed to be the man who would who would wipe that out. He he was going to bring in the kind of concentration, uh, the attention to details that that wouldn't would stop that from happening. He couldn't really. You know, Moscow nil nil was probably the best, the high point yeah. in that regard. Yeah. Uh, and and it's continued under O'Neill, and I think that's uh, until that is, is for whatever reason. And I, I thought O'Neill's line about Naismith refereeing the game was actually very interesting from what it, about for what it said about the Irish team. That in, there isn't in what way no, no, nobody's willing to there's, there's step nobody, up like that. We don't we don't have those kind. Of, I, I thought I thought it was a compliment. I, I know Scotland got upset about it. I actually thought it was a compliment to say you want one of your players refereeing the game. Like I'd rather have one of my players refereeing the game than the referee re- refereeing <laughs> the game. And Ireland don't have that kind of personality in the team. Yeah. When you mean. Sorry, you mentioned Moscow, and, and in Moscow you had Richard Dunn and Shea Given both playing out of their skin, and, and, and you know we don't have anyone capable of playing like that now. You know, given not the goalkeeper he was, John O'Shea is you know capable and experienced and everything like that, but he's not that kind of inspirational Richard Dunn figure at Richard Dunn's best, yeah. you know. But I think the problem is if you look back over our recent games, you know, we we played Germany, we played. Uh, uh, Poland, both of whom surrendered um, a, a, a goal lead to us, and you can you know take that as a positive from our point of view. But if you look at their approaches, the Germans you know score a goal and they want to push on and just put you away, and that that cost them in that situation. And we get back into the game, you know, against the run of play, and we score a goal. The Poles, on the other hand, pull back, you know, get get ahead of us, dig in deep, you know, and think that they can beat us, which they which they should have, you know. And then we we score a goal in the last minute. Okay, so so neither approach has really worked, but they both have a very set approach. And you get, you know, the, the Germans think they're going to score again. They th- think they're going to really put you away. The Poles think, you know, this is a team that we can shut out and we can maintain a lead against. I think with Ireland, we don't quite know what we're going to do, you know. There's a sense there that we're not good enough to shut out any team. So if we just simply drop back, dig in um, and uh, and play blood, blood and gut stuff like we did in Moscow, that we're not going to get by because we don't have the players that we used to have. And yet there's certainly no confidence that we can push on and really put teams away. I mean, the, the, our best spell, I don't think it's any coincidence whatsoever, that our best spell on Saturday was when we knew precisely what we had to do, which was to, you know, was to start, come out of the traps, firing all guns and score the goal um, you know and, and the difficulty then was when we were knocked back with the equaliser okay we went back on the front foot but we you know we were a bit of a spent force we didn't have quite the ingenuity of early on and, and the Scots kind of you know could see the finishing line in sight When I heard O'Neill say this thing about Naismith it, I mean it struck me that was the first excuse anyone had, had really attempted all day you know, the first time anyone had attempted to say, well, there was this, you know, if Naismith hadn't been... I mean, I, there's been so many of these games over the years, over the last few years, and always, you know, somebody like me is sitting here going, well, you know, if only, you know, uh, Steve Staunton... We, we used to blame Steve Staunton a lot for the things that went wrong when he was the manager. If only Trapattoni would, like, uh, you know, let the fullbacks attack, or if only he would understand that James McCarthy is a good central midfielder, or if only he would... Um, see that Wes Houlihan is actually worth having in this team, then maybe it could have been different. But actually, there's almost nothing left now that we can look at and say, well, uh, if he changed, this is a change, yeah. this, this is an improvement we can make. It's, a, it's like, that's probably the best we can do. And we're actually just not well, good enough. There are no, yeah, there are no scapegoats left. Like, you do have to look at the, the bigger picture than saying, get rid of the manager, uh, Change a few of the players. You know, there's you know who 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 isn't playing like you know maybe Andy Reid. Like, do we do we go back to that as a cause celeb? Or else, Stephen Ireland. <laughs> or Stephen Ireland. Or do you look at it and a bigger? You know, after the European Championships, most people said something has to be done about the lack of talent in in Irish football. And what's been done three years later? You know, they're now rolling out their development plan, which John Delaney said has been very well received. 
Uh, no, Super. Yeah, but but what's happening with it? That's three years. That's a that's you know that's a whole cycle in international. Football. Is that too easy on Martin O'Neill though? Because it's been said many times in the build-up of this game that it's not as though Gordon Strachan has this other strata of player that he has to deal with. Broadly similar, and it seems like he does have a definite idea of what he's doing with the team, whereas O'Neill doesn't. No, I I, I don't think O'Neill has been has been a revelation as Ireland manager. I think he's been disappointing. Uh, it was funny on at Strachan's press conference on Friday. A Scottish journalist came up to me who'd been at O'Neill's earlier and said, why is he so morose? He's a, and he was making the point he was never like that at Celtic. You know, he, 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 just, yeah. he, he saw him as a kind of diminished figure from his time at Celtic. And you can argue whether press conferences or any of what he does with the media is relevant, but it would seem to have some bear, you know, some ref, be reflected in, in the way the team plays. So I think he hasn't done it. He hasn't done it particularly outstanding job after 19 months in it when you're still searching he still doesn't know his best team um or even you know you know a team really every every team is a kind of you know so many teams are a shock as Saturday's was uh compared to what Strachan has done so I think there is there is there are criticisms you can make you can make criticism for taking Wes Hoolan off yeah um but I think the problem is 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 greater and I thought the interesting thing O'Neill said as well on on Saturday was that he didn't realize when he took the job that there was so little talent coming through yeah, that's not good because uh, he wouldn't have had to, you know, he wouldn't have to spend too much time on a, on a laptop to, uh, <laughs> to, to figure that out. Yeah, um, uh, I, I think that's a, a big chunk of the problem. I, I think that you know, uh, you look at the two lists of players on, on paper, um, and and they are very very close to each other, uh, or they seem to be. But over the course of both games, the Scottish players have looked better. Um, now, whether that's a reflection on Strachan. Um, uh, versus O'Neill, or whether it's just simply the reality of the situation, I don't know. But you know, we certainly have. Um, you go back to uh, when Trapattoni was in charge and the kind of criticisms that were made. Certainly, some of the key players. I mean, Houlihan has delivered. You know, for the most part, mm. he's delivered in the way that people hoped that he ha- would, and he's come into the team. And you know, you could argue retrospectively that that was a mistake by by um, uh, trap by trap. Although I'm not so com- I'm not completely convinced. I mean, it was it was part of a wider setup the way he set out the team, and I think he's entitled to set out the team. He got us to a European Championship. He got us to a playoff. We're a couple of years on, and we're going to be fourth in the group. You know, mm-hmm. um, so um, I think that has to be taken into consideration. You know, Hulan's now on the team. And we're worse than we were, you know, which, um, which you know, uh, that's not a reflection on Houlihan, but it, per- it perhaps is um, a, a reflection on the kind of respective senses of, uh, you know, the overall approaches of the managers. But, what, but, but other players haven't, you know, delivered. And we all kind of thought that Coleman was late coming into the team. He should have been in, in Trapp's team earlier. Yeah. Well, we see on Saturday that he just completely fails to deliver when it, when, it, when it matters. James McCarthy, I mean, I know I disagree with a lot of people on this, but I'm still waiting for James McCarthy to, 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 to show me that he's the sort of player that other people clearly think he is. Um, well, that's an interesting one. I mean, because McCarthy obviously was the focus of, I mean, I mean Dunphy wasn't impressed. Uh, I'm sure everyone's heard what he had to say about McCarthy at this stage, but you know that he was, uh, yeah. he was a, a kind a, of a... A paper player was one, a, a talking horse, and he's just no good. I thought it was the more damning one. Yeah. I got less of the headlines than no the good. talking horse. <laughs> he's just no good, is what he Said. I didn't know what a talking horse was at the time. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I, I find it hard to associate McCarthy and talking for a start. Like, you know, having, having been at a few press conferences involving this, so, uh, but, but I Brian doubt Kerr, that's accurate, but I'm not sure. Yeah, Brian Kerr said it was the best performance that he's seen McCarthy put in for Ireland. In, Ireland, for, for, in a green shirt, yeah. So this is like his, his 27th, it was his 27th game for Ireland, I think, something like that. Mm. And he, um, I, I do think in the first half, actually played well. I mean, the thing about McCarthy is that he's played pretty much his entire 
career since he moved to play in England anyway with Roberto Martinez. And Martinez has uh, been very clear with him. I see you as a kind of a Spanish-style number four. You're going to be our Pep Guardiola. You're going to be a guy who sits there in front of the back for you get the ball and then you give it to someone uh, in a better position than you further up the field. And... That's all I want you to do. Yeah. You know, whereas we kind of have maybe more of an idea of a midfielder like McCarthy is more of an all-rounder who is able to score a goal occasionally or maybe have a shot once once or twice a month. Um, And and, and so he plays this quite uh, reserved type of game, which maybe we don't really warm to here. I I wonder if this is, if I'm just making excuses for him at this stage. Well, I I think that he's one of, you know, potentially our our standout players. And I'm not saying that I don't think he played badly on on Saturday at all. Uh, I think he played okay, you know, but the reality is, we need a lot more out of him. And you need maybe, a guy to play brilliantly. Uh, yeah, or maybe we, we, we just, maybe I'm setting the bar too high for him. Maybe it's, you know, but absolutely, we need him to contribute more than that number four because the players he's going to be passing the ball to are almost by definition inferior to him. So we need him to take more responsibility in the Irish team. We, we, we don't see enough of that from him. We don't see him delivering enough. And I know it is a different role to, to what he, what, what's asked of him at, at club level. But, but realistically, mm. if this team is going to, to, to do something, we need, we need the couple of really quality players in it to start delivering. I mean, you look at this Poland team. I mean, there's not a lot between um, uh, Ireland and Poland, probably, in terms of the balance of players. I remember uh, Dieter Mann being in for some uh, some commercial gig here and, um, and and me suggesting that Poland had a better group of players and then becoming you know quite animated about this. You know, that once you took out their couple of biggest stars, uh, that they were very ordinary. And, and, you know, I bowed to superior knowledge on that. But the reality is they have those couple of big stars, you know, and, and we, we, we never look like we do. I think in international football, you only need uh, one or two players. Sure, I think. Work. Like, look, Austria beat us in the last group with Alaba. Alaba yeah. That was it. Yeah. Uh, that was the difference between Bale. Bale is getting Wales to the European Championship. Yeah, yeah. Scotland, in a strange way, like Naismith and Maloney can kind of con- can dominate a game. You know, when they start playing, yeah, they link well. They, they have they can, a little combination. A little combination, yeah. and that's all you. We only it's have kind of like it, it's, it's it's quite a rudimentary football, international football. You know, yeah. And if you actually string about five or six passes together. Things start happening for you, and Scotland can do that. Well, we, we wouldn't know, Dion. We, no, we wouldn't know. But when, we when did we, do that in the first half at one point. A little Glenn Whelan ended up having a shot from twenty-five yards. Yeah. Do you remember? That was like our best move in years. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. Whelan was good, and um, I thought Whelan had a great first half the other day. And uh, uh, you know, we had a couple of passing moves which should have ended with with good Coleman crosses and didn't. I mean, just I, on I, McCarthy. I him, just on McCarthy before we leave him, Dion. What's, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I agree really that he needs to do more. I think. I don't see why being a number four for Everton, if if he has a has the personality, I think a lot of it does come down to you know, does he have the personality to do it. Doesn't mean he can't be more expressive for Ireland. We've seen that. I mean, Ronnie Whelan would be the classic example who for Liverpool played a very restrained game yeah. and just sat in front of the back or sat in front of the back four and just kept it ticking over. And then when he played for Ireland, was much more expressive. Now Whelan is a much better player than McCarthy, but. He did, he was able to he was able to alter his game. Yeah, you're, not, you're, not, you're not asking a striker to go on goals. No, no, you're asking a midfielder to just. Yeah, to and it's something he's done before. I mean, earlier in his club career, there were spells when he was used as a more attacking uh, uh, midfielder. You know, it was it was it was you know the the change was that that Martinez did ask him to sit back more and become a more and and he talked he has talked about this in the past himself. He knows what's required. You know, and, and it, the worry would be is it's that it's it is something in his personality. It's the fact that. Every game he plays for Ireland is a big game. Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of the games, 
especially when he was at Wigan, a lot of the games McCarthy played well and he, he played well against big teams when actually very little was expected from yeah. Wigan and he would do very well in those matches. Um, he's, he, the onus is on him on a, on a game like, in a day like Saturday to do something and maybe, that, maybe that's the problem that he, he actually can't handle those, that kind of pressure. A lot of what he did was physical. I mean, he's a lot more robust than usual. He through. kicked Scott Brown in the back and there was at one a, point. And then the fi- yeah, it was a fairly fair elbow. I thought that was a, a straight or red. As I think he thought he was probably going to get a straight red for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there uh, seemed to be a bit of sending out a message, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, Whelan yeah. took somebody out as well. Scott Brown as well. Whelan was actually late in making a late tackle on Scott Brown at one point. You could see him. He was trying to make a late tackle. He got there too late. He was just too slow. And I think he might have taken Fletcher out at one point as well, which which might have might have got him a, on another day got him a, a second yellow so I mean there was certainly you know certainly seemed to be an attempt to lay down a bit of a marker um, which is which is fine but um, uh, it's a, it, it's something you got to judge fairly finely and we seem to get, get you know get away with it a little bit but I think once that disappeared that was the thing that, that kind of attitude and obviously that was the thing O'Neill wanted from them but once once that kind of faded a bit Scotland again did seem like a more cohesive team uh, especially in the second half once the goal once the equaliser came in Ireland didn't have that idea of what, how they were going to make things happen, how they were going to open up up to the, up to the Scottish defence. And again, you see it. And I, I thought it was kind of extraordinary in its own way that O'Neill said, "Right, we put on Robbie and we went long ball because that's what we had to do at that point. Just put the ball yeah. in the box." Yeah. And uh, and you know whether Robbie and you know, whether Robbie is going to be able to capitalise on that, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But it's a, kind of a big gamble, and it's a huge gamble when you take off off Wes to do it. Well, I did think. I mean, again. You know, this is this this seemed like the most controversial thing of the game. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna really have a go at Martin O'Neill, this would be definitely the thing that you would say. At the same time, what well, you know, Hulahan had Hulahan was the only Irish player to actually create a chance from open play. I mean, he, he set up the chance for Murphy, yeah. but you know, it wasn't as though he was running the show at that stage. You know, he was looking good when he got the ball, but it wasn't as though he was a dominant player. So you could kind of see what O'Neill was saying. I mean, it was a kind of Maybe you don't agree with his his basic logic, but he there is logic there. You know, it wasn't as though it was just a random, you know, just a completely insane substitution. There was a kind of a there was I, a method in it. Yeah, I think maybe it goes back to the, this idea that we're not entirely sure what the goal is, and as long as you know, um, as long as there's some sort of hope that you might still get out of jail further down the line, you don't completely commit. So if that's the last game of the campaign and we need to win it, then maybe he's taken off. Um, a defensive midfielder or or a centre back or something like that, and putting on another striker along with Robbie. I mean, remember the Dutch here when when we beat them one nil, and by the end of it they're playing with four strikers. You know, um, uh, obviously it didn't work for them. So you know, but you know there there is that kind of to what extent are you really kind of looking to commit yourself here? One of the 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 um, criticisms of Kerr was, was when the um, when the Swiss came here and we needed to win. You know, ten twenty minutes from time he's taking off Robbie and replacing him with a striker. You know. And we desperately need to score a goal. So, you know, I think the the thing about the other day was that the Hulan thing, I was surprised by it, not hugely shocked, whatever. But if you really believed deep down that this was a game that absolutely we have to win, then you're thinking there's a bigger gamble to to be taken here, you know. And and maybe O'Neill, deep down, does believe that, you know, we're, we're still, you know, if we don't lose this game, then somehow Scotland might go to Georgia and drop points and then we're right back in it. And, and yeah. you don't want to be looking back at Scotland saying, you know, you, you, you went crazy, took off uh, one of your centre-backs and, uh, and got beaten. What do we, it, sorry, it, Ken, yeah. It just, it, you just, when you're looking at it, you're thinking, who else does this? Like, who else is trying to score a goal in a game and takes off their best player? 
You look around Europe. Which other team would do that? It's it's just it's just weird, really. Isn't it? But I, I mean, it's. I sound now as though I'm, I'm about to, I'm gearing up to have a big girlfriend, which I'm not. You know, he he obviously doesn't think that we we're, we're really capable of of putting together you know clever football. That the best option is always going to be get it in the box. Hopefully, someone will get ahead on it. You know, and that's actually more realistic. Well, he's looking at he's he's it's all on the line for him. He's the manager. He's the one everyone's yeah. looking at, and he's thinking, well. You know, to be honest, I'd love if Wes Hoolan was to, you know, um, you know, send a defender the wrong way and slip one through to to uh, Daryl Murphy, who's just gonna, you know, slickly slot one in past the goalkeeper. But I don't believe that's really going to happen. So I'm going to start. Let's just get get in the mixer and uh, and see where we are in 15 minutes' time. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of it depends how you get the ball in the box or where you get the ball in the box from. And in the, in the first half, we were kind of, you know, we had a lot of good, you know, positive wit to us. Brady was getting the ball in from one side. There was guys actually getting close to the byline on the right yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, John O'Shea yeah. made the point after the game. I think it was O'Shea, one of the players. O'Shea certainly yes. talked about the quality of the cross. Said that, yeah. yeah, he he's essentially said, look, if we really have to think more about where we're crossing from, that, how that, we're striking. That was across. it. I mean, I, I do think that, like you know, Robbie, you know, he's talked about uh, O'Neill has talked a lot in the past about you know Robbie's the kind of player who, if you're kind of dominating, if you're the home team and you're really taking the game to the opponents and they're digging in and you're getting the ball into a crowded area, he's the the one most likely to uh, to 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 steal a goal for you, you know, and and I think that's probably true, you know. But the reality is that if you're knocking it long, and he's having to kind of you know cover a lot of ground and you know try and win an aerial battle and then do something afterwards, and he's he's not enjoying a huge amount of sport, then you know the bottom line is no matter who you're playing, it's 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 a bit of a forlorn hope. When when we played Poland in in March, McLean came on and and delivered a lot of quality ball into the box, couple of couple of. Uh, uh, high crosses, uh, two or three really nice angle low balls that kind of caused a fair amount of chaos in in the Poland game. You would have settled for, happily enough for that the other day, but mm. I mean, you know, the problem is that McLean goes on and doesn't, you know, take on that that mantle that Hulahan had had been carrying of 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 getting quality dangerous ball into the box. Robbie Brady just loses it completely in the last. <laughs> it, it was minutes, very, like, the very the very last moment of the game was Brady trying again to cross from a really deep position yeah. and McLean going absolutely mad at him, screaming at him, like pointing where he should have, where he thought, yeah. McLean basically wanted him to pass the ball so McLean could cross from close to the byline. Yeah. And then, and Brady had just sort of t- taken another diagonal cross. I think he whipped it in and, and McLean had kind of caught McLean, you know, yeah. behind him. He'd, he'd got a foot to it or something like that, yeah. I do think the sense of a kind of, the Hail Mary sense of, of the kind of last, you know, 20 minutes there does actually, is also reflects badly on O'Neill because, if you th- if you look at naming teams that haven't been pl- haven't played together before, nobody knows knows what the team is going to be, including the players, until just before kickoff. And then you're you, then you're in this situation in the last twenty minutes where people are being sent on. Like Robbie Keane, when he came on, he was, he was sort of wide on the right for a while. Mm. You know, when he first came on, he was sort of wide on the right. Okay, well, if he's going to be in the box, getting on the end of knockdowns, what's he what's he doing putting in crosses? Mm. Yeah. So that like that kind of sense of chaos. Is 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 doesn't reflect well on and, and there is also the sense that like if you, you know, a lot of it surely is about holding your nerve as well. I mean, even if, even if you get into the last fifteen minutes of the game, you know, you shouldn't just abandon trying to do yeah. things the way that you started out trying to do them. Oh, a lot, a lot of teams do approach something differently because they're panicking. Ago, you know, because they're, they're even panicking. even good teams sometimes change. Not not everybody is Barcelona who has their plan, sticks to their plan yeah. no matter what. Uh, they, are the, they are the They are very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, We're not Barcelona. It's funny, no, you, yeah. you stopped short of really hammering Martin O'Neill there, Ken. And, 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 and everybody is, I know, everybody's just sort of underwhelmed by what he's done without being apoplectic about it necessarily. But 
what are his chances of keeping his job if and when we don't qualify for this tournament? A lot seems to be being made of his initial comments when he took over to the effect that, well, I probably won't get offered another contract if I don't get this team to the tournament. But I don't know if he's backed that up in recent months. Is he? No, he's kind of softened it completely, hasn't yeah, he? Has he sort yeah. of said that if we do... Well, what he has said, I think, what he's softened it to the extent that he said that he would, he'd kind of, you know, like to stay on as long as we've made a decent stab at it, mm. you know? And I'm not sure whether we have made a decent stab at it. If, we've, if, we've, if we're four, we don't beat any of our, you know, uh, three qualification rivals. Obviously, the the main two being Scotland and Poland, um, uh, then then you know I don't know it's it, it's a bit of a toss up. I mean, we still have the prospect of going to Poland and potentially winning. Poland aren't that great a team or whatever, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you certainly wouldn't be betting on. It. There's absolutely no reason at this point in time to suspect that we'll do that. So it's a question then of whether the FAI think that they can do any better, and but, I and I suspect they they won't think they can. But I think the the question just you put that another way and ask what do the what do the FAI want from an Irish manager? And that's whether O'Neill should be staying or not. Do you have a highly paid manager? What do we do if O'Neill goes? And when O'Neill took the job, he, you know, one of the things, he, he, his whole emphasis was qualifying. Mm. Yeah. He's a manager to win matches. He said, he, was, you know, he talked about players coming through on, on his first day in, the, in his unveiling, and he said, you know, I'm told there are some 16-year-olds coming through, but a lot of good that is to me. Yeah. That's not what he was there for. He was there to get the team well, to the European Championship. You, is he going to reinvent himself yeah. as the man who's going to kind of uh, initiate a, a four-year plan or something like that? Well, I'm like not that. sure he has an awful lot of choice. I mean, his, 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 his reputation is like he wasn't, you know, it didn't seem to be kind of having to kind of, you know, stand behind the door um, fighting people off uh, with job offers before he got, he got yeah. the, the Ireland job. And his reputation, you know, is not hugely enhanced by his, by his, his couple of years here. So I don't know what his options are going to be. I'm sure he'd get a job somewhere, you know, whatever. But this may be the best option that he has. Maybe the, the best paying option that but, he has. But, but, well, but, for but, sure, yeah. The but, the, but the task, absolutely, I appreciate the task is changed. And, 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 you know, it's a question of whether he is the right man to do that. But look, I mean, if you want to take the most kind of desolate view of this, you know, if you look at the Welsh... Um, the Welsh sank. I remember talking to John Toshak, who was who was reviled in Wales, you know, but talked at the time about Wales being um, uh, just being rock bottom. They had no players coming through. They were in a mess, and he was he was going to start a process of of rebuilding that team, you know. Now I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know the finer points of, of what happened there, but you know, at one point the Welsh were, if I if I'm if I think I'm correct in saying seven seeds. They they had a particular they had a particular uh, summer where they didn't take a friendly game, and the Faroe Islands did, or something like that, and the Faroe Islands passed them out, and they ended up as in the last pot, pot of seeds, and that's only about three four tournaments ago, mm. and now they're going to be top seeds um, in the draw for the World Cup. And what has happened, I think, to some small extent, I know some of those players were were already in training a lot. Like the Vale wasn't hasn't been developed since that time. Um, there's a couple of other quality, really quality players there. They have a major advantage over us in that they have uh, two very very big clubs who probably have a youth systems who produce more players in a year yeah. than we do in in total. They have you know they're closer to the, the the rest of the big clubs in England. Whatever they have a lot of things going for them that we don't. But what I would say is that perhaps just perhaps if that pressure to qualify immediately if that pressure to win the next game is sort of diminished to some extent by a, real, a general realisation that we're just in a hole here an acceptance that this is where we are exactly an acceptance and I think there was definitely a sense of that over the weekend all of this Ooh. is you know mm. we're just not very good and, uh, and uh, it's come back to the drawing board and uh, we're not going to qualify for Russia which I think if we're fourth seeds uh, and there's far fewer places is probably a realistic assessment of the, uh, of the situation that really actually what we need 
need to do now is to get back to the drawing board and start aiming way further down the line. Yeah, and I wonder then, you know, just in, in the, the system that we have at the moment is we've, we've got, obviously, Dennis O'Brien, who, who pays money towards the, you know, getting a big-name manager. Not enough, clearly. Now, well, is it, is, it maybe, is it maybe an unintended consequence here that we actually end up getting the wrong type of manager? Like, you know, maybe what Ireland needed this time is the sort of little hustler manager who isn't a big name, who might work for the sort of money the FAI might be able to pay uh, off who, their who own. Who you in mind, Ken? Well, I don't know. I mean, Ex-Blackpool ex and Chris Well, you, well you know, I mean, the, the, the so Michael O'Neill mightn't have been such a bad option when you, when you look at it. Well, you know? obviously, he looks like a pretty good choice now. <laughs> but, yeah. like, you know, if you go back to Wales, would you say Chris Coleman is a better manager than Martin O'Neill? Not on, no, uh, not not. on, his, on no, his previous no, record. So, no. again, the players... But I think he's inherited a yeah, more has, promising yeah, situation. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. But I think that's why, do you need... When you don't have the players... Do you need a big name manager? Sure. To uh, you know, he's not going to turn Glenn Whelan into something. Yeah, Glenn Whelan. I, I'm, I, I, yeah, no, I, no, no, I no, think. No. Oh, what I'm sort of saying in, in one sense is that the the identity of the manager for the moment. Yeah. Isn't that you know? And not even identity. Even even the type of manager. We've tried every every yeah, type now yeah, for the exactly, last ten yeah. years. You've got your recently retired guy in Steve Staunton, your guy who's worked his way up through the youth ranks in Brian Kerr, your massive superstar foreign name in <laughs> yeah. Trapattoni, and then yeah. whatever it is, Martin O'Neill. Maybe we should is. go back Celtic to Celtic legend Martin O'Neill. Maybe we should go back to an FAI committee. You know, like I say, because they're good. At, they're good yeah. at doing it. The board, the FAI board, should pick the yeah. team. Now we'd be sorted. The wisdom of crowds. A quick word on. Is it a crowd? A quick word on the uh, on the sort of postscript to John Delaney's week, and that was the pulping of the uh, of the match programs. You're you're shaking your head. It was just incredible. I mean, you couldn't. I mean, it's an overused cliche in relation to the FAI, but you could not make it up. Uh, Yeah, it was it it was astonishing stuff to um, to find themselves in a situation where they were pulping eighteen thousand programs. On the basis of a reference to openness and transparency, um, <laughs> it, uh, it, 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 it says it all. And, uh, and we have the, the communications department uh, in general and Peter Sherrod in particular, it seems, having to kind of throw themselves under a bus um, uh, and take responsibility for this, which, which may be true. I mean, maybe they made the decision. It seems remarkable to me that John Delaney would have to sign off on the original piece. Um, which it stated he did, but would not then be consulted about a major chunk of that piece being removed. We're going to spend ten thousand euros because uh, your call for openness and transparency is potentially embarrassing. Yeah. The association. is that okay? And, and you wouldn't run that past them, and that's a, like a significant chunk of money from the FAI's point of view, given that the, fi- the financial straits that they're in. But this is the story. Either way, either Delaney made the call and 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 uh, actually okayed it. It's incredible. Or he's the head of an organisation where his middle management or, you know, communications director or whoever it was um, feels the need to make that sort of call without consulting him. Well, to save John you Delaney know, further. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's, and I think, I think the credibility, you know, John Delaney's credibility is shot. Like, it, it, it's... it's he can't recover, really. Uh, so this is actually... The, even, well, no, even no, this, no, I'm, not saying he's, I'm not saying anything's going to happen. Yeah. I think his credibility is shot. Um, and this adds to that. Yeah, of course it does. It, yeah. and like, you see it, it reminded me of you know, that movie Election when they say you know, that this is one of these little stories that goes around the, glo- you know, goes around the world. And you could see even on Saturday, like Le Keep and these people, yeah. it was just one of these kind of, you know, it was a classic story because it was an, a, you know, a call for openness and transparency and they destroyed, destroyed it. Mm. Um, it, was, it. It was a perfect sense. The FAI in the last couple of weeks, you know, Again, uh, you know, Declan Lynch's line about the dysfunctional body, other dysfunctional bodies called the Galacticos, you know, it is... Uh, Could they have kept it in, though? I, 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 w- would it not have been a more ridiculous thing to have that 
Well, then that's why their that's why their credibility is shot because whatever they they made a fool of Delaney made a fool of themselves. It actually wouldn't have been as bad. I mean, obviously, have been as bad. obviously they were making a, a calculation that they were going to get away with it that nobody yeah, was going no to find out about it. You know, and and we don't know how many of those calculations they make on an hourly basis. You know, but uh, <laughs> uh, but the but the reality is, once it got out, certainly once it got out, it would have been better to have left it in. All right, yeah. Emmett, Dion, brilliant stuff. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks. FIFA made a movie recently. Did uh, they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. God, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Sat Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible ego, but the real movie's on its way. Well, yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself, and I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you. We're one or two exclusives. He said, no one speaks to me like that. And you said? And I said, what I do? And that was it. We were two exclusives. And I just asked her to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or eight seconds. And I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. there was some expletive used. We came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement for FBI. Right. And we've used the figure there. Why not you? This idea keeps coming up. Again, that we could do with one or two more vocal players in midfield, the kind of guys that will shoot their mouth off to the referee like Stephen Naismith did, James McCarthy in particular. Uh, I think it's well established. I think Grant Whelan does a bit of that, to be fair. He does, for he does a bit, yeah. He's probably our best. He wanted to be doing that, that yeah. Uh, but McCarthy in particular doesn't project an aura of self-confidence, really. And I have an idea. I have an idea what he could do about that. Just take a leaf out of the LeBron James book. His Cavaliers were beaten in Game 5 of the NBA Finals last night. They're now 3-2 down. That hasn't shaken his self-belief. If this exchange with a report, a reporter should say post-match is anything to go by. Do you feel a lot less pressure this Finals run just because you are undermanned and you had some injuries uh, as opposed to previous years? Nah. nah I feel confident because I'm the best player in the world. That's simple. But in regards to pressure with uh, the games playing, do you do you feel as if uh, this finals team and this pre- is a little less? You see, I just love that the reporter throws out a pretty tame question, a fairly bog standard <laughs> post-match question. He receives inadvertently the answer of the century, but then doggedly sticks to his original line. What would it. you have asked as, as a follow-up? As a follow-up, nothing. I'm confident because I'm the best player in the world. I was talking about this off-air with Murph earlier on. I don't want to steal his line, but Murph said something along the lines of, I just say, listen, I'd like to, uh, first of all, say hello to everyone on YouTube who's joined this clip. (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much, Mr. James. I will now pass it on to somebody else on the floor here because I'm not going to do any better than that. And you've just given me a hell of an answer. And now people might know my name. Unfortunately, I haven't got his name in front of me. I'm confident because I'm the best player in the world. That's brilliant. Yeah, I don't, I've never heard, uh, I've never heard Messi say that, for instance. Has Messi ever given a line like that? I don't think so. He thinks it. He definitely thinks it. Right. I don't. I don't. There's nobody in in football who would say that. Um, you know, George Best years and years after he retired might have might have come out with a line like that, but uh, it wouldn't have been true then. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Maybe James McCarthy could learn a, a bit from LeBron James. I'm not sure. I thought actually that his in the first half he played well, and he was quite aggressive. Uh, he you know, a bit too aggressive actually. Um, but he was trying to get involved. He was up supporting the attack. Oh, we're talking about James McCarthy here. Yeah, LeBron. Yeah, McCarthy. Um, he wasn't playing at the back of the midfield. He was kind of trying to get up and he was in and around the box. And the idea was obviously that, you know, hopefully he's going to get into the position to shoot here. You know, he, he's more of an attacking midfielder here than what he has been previously for him, which is very much a, 
uh, you know, defensive holding player. Um, second half, especially after Whelan went off, he had to become that holding player. And I thought his passing was generally pretty good, actually. I mean, if you look back, he, he he's not giving the ball away. You know, he's getting it out to the guys in deep, wide positions who are going to try and sling the ball in. It's not a great attacking strategy. You know, it doesn't make anyone look good, particularly. No. Um, I, di- I didn't think that... I mean, maybe he could have done better with his part in the Scottish goal. Whelan definitely could have done better. He was sold a little bit by the 1-2. Um, I wouldn't have said that it was... I, w- I wouldn't have necessarily singled him out afterwards as one of our worst players. No, it's just as discussed, he's, we, he's meant we, we to want be. him to be our best player. Yeah. And he p- could potentially be that. But just before we go, right, I want you to get the group table open there and the fixtures if you get a chance. Because I, di- I, didn't, I didn't like Richie Sadler's, our good friend Richie's, incredibly professional and accurate summation of where the group stands at the moment and how unlikely we are to qualify. I want some unrealistic dream that we can still cling on here. So give me, some, give me a scenario whereby we, quali- we get third place and qualify for a playoff. A scenario where we, where we qualify Yeah, for give playoff. us our last four results there. That might be enough. Okay. Well, what we need to happen is um, the, next, the next round of fixtures is Georgia against Scotland. Mm-hmm. What we need there is a, is a thumping win for Georgia. Um, it doesn't have to be a thumping win, it just has to be a win. Or, in fact, a draw. Even mm. a draw would be good, but a win would be even better. Germany against Poland. Let's not worry too much about those. That's not even, yeah. Yeah, that's just and Gibraltar just, against the Republic of Ireland. What we want there is Ireland, the Republic of Ireland in the sunshine, 4th September in Estadio Algarve, Faro. A nice, nice little 1-0 win will do the job there. Win the, win the game. Yeah. Poland against Gibraltar is, the next, uh, is three days later. And... What a way for Gibraltar to announce their arrival on the world stage. What better way uh, than by silencing the Stadion Naradovi in Warsaw <laughs> uh, with an obdurate nil-nil draw, um, breaking the, the hearts of the Poles. But this is the thing about the Poles. They expect that to happen deep down. Deep down within them, they expect to get their hearts broken here. Mm-hmm. And the most painful way for that to happen would be for Gibraltar to do it. And don't underestimate the possibility of that happening, Owen. The Poles almost willing that into existence with their own fatalism. That's something which might happen. Republic of Ireland against Georgia, obviously another win for Martin O'Neill's men. Uh, Scotland against Germany. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, and what we want there, I think, is for Germany to put Scotland firmly back in their box, you know, uh, and to leave there with the, with the three points and uh, maybe six goals. Yeah, a big enough win that will really dent the confidence of Scotland as well. And then what we've got is Ireland against Germany coming up on the 8th of October. Uh, and at this stage, the country is at fever pitch. Because suddenly everything is is back on again, and as Martin O'Neill promised, we could make this Germany game a very dramatic occasion. Now Germany will beat us easily because mm-hmm. you know they're much better than us, and they they'd be angry about what happened the last time. <laughs> but I mean, so we have to be more realistic here. Scotland against Poland, maybe maybe we want to draw there. Do we want to draw, or do we want the Poles to beat Scotland? I'm not sure. I mean, if if we get some of the results I've outlined so far, uh, followed by. Another point, a second point for Gibraltar, their second ever point in international football in their final game against Scotland in the last uh, instance, and Ireland going to Warsaw and winning. I think that we might well join. Oh, we're in then, yeah. We might well. It might be Scotland who are who are left in, in the corner with the dunce's cap, as us, uh, uh, Poland, Northern, Northern oh, Ireland, sorry, yeah. Wales and England uh, skip off together, <laughs> dance under the maypole together. Uh, at uh, France 2016. Thanks again. We'll leave it on that positive note. Thanks, Owen. You can have listened to our first podcast. I mentioned a piece earlier on with the Irish mountaineer, Paul Devaney, who was over in uh, in Nepal. He was, uh, well, he was 
a good bit of the way up Mount Everest when the earthquake hit a number of weeks back. Well, we're listening to that. You can also have uh, have a listen to our analysis of the football at the weekend, the Gaelic football, that is, with Matt Clerk and Anthony Moyles. Thanks very much for listening to this one. You can follow us at Twitter, uh, on Twitter, I should say, at Second Captains, facebook.com forward slash Second Captains. And we'll chat to you later in the week. Take care. Is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.